Well, good morning again, and I pray that you've had you another blessed week, a wonderful week in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would uh, allow God to continue to just minister to you. It's been a great week. Even though all these things that we hear on the news about this shooting and that shooting, and I imagine many of you have heard what have taken place here in Akron, and we're praying. And uh, that's the most important thing we can do is pray and seek God's face in all of this and pray for the Walker family. We want to just keep them in prayer and covered in prayer. And as uh, they have asked for peace and calmness, may that be. May we hear their request. And uh, I pray that Akron would uh, just wait for the final verdict on this thing and all that took place before any more destruction takes place or any large marches. Yes, we can march, but it should not be with destruction. As my wife and I drove downtown Akron and saw the windows that were broken out and some of the restaurants and so forth, it's so unnecessary. It it doesn't bring healing. Uh, it doesn't help the situation. So I pray that we all would stay calm and allow those who are going to investigate this situation to do that and pray that they bring back an honest report. Uh, and that's what we all want, an honest and just report. So just be praying. And I pray that whatever the end results would be that we would understand we have to wind up in the courts. We have to change some policies of how our police police the community. And somewhere there need to be a law that is written or a policy that is written. As long as somebody is running away from you as a police officer, they're running away from you, you do not fire you do not shoot them if they're running away. Allow them to continue to run, to flee from you, because there's always another day in which you can pick them up. But we're going to have to make that policy, make that law, that if a person is running and their back is to you, you cannot shoot. And the uh, amount of shots that this young man received was unmerciful. We have to agree with that point. There was no just cause to be shot 50-something times. But here again, we have to wait to find out the whole story. But uh, I'm just praying for the Walker family and for Akron and that we would find some way to come to the table and to build a better community a better Akron, a better police force, because that's what it's going to take. If not, this will continue to happen over and over again in many different places. But I hope that our Akron can really become an example to many other cities by the way in which we respond and the way we redirect our police department. And we have to have police. Uh, that part we have to be honest about. Society cannot exist without police officers, those who keep a certain law and order. But the police officers cannot become the bad guys. They cannot become the murderers. They cannot become the court, the jury, the hangman. They can't be that. Uh, there has to be a line somewhere that's drawn on what they can do and what they cannot do. And someplace, I hate to say it, the community is going to have to police the police. I don't know what that may look like, but somehow there's going to have to be more involvement from the community that wants a just and fair police department. And... Um, we got some work ahead of us, and we have some
praying to do. So would you join us in prayer here in Akron on what steps God would have us to take? But we need to get to our lessons and uh, we need to continue to look at what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look at the uh, second witnesses. We looked at the first witnesses in chapter 14, in chapter 7, and chapter 14, the 144,000 last week. That was the first uh, witness, and we we're talking about three witnesses that God selects for himself. Not saying there's not others who are witnessing, but these are three major witnesses that God gives and points to us and shows us these are three witnesses that he ordained, that he chose. Uh, one is the 144,000. He selected 12,000 out of each tribe. And only God knows where those tribes are today. <laughs> and uh, he only selected 12,000. That did not mean that the others did not love the Lord or, or are not saved. Or, uh, but God just selected 12,000 out of each tribe. He's not saying these 12 are far above the others in that tribe or whatever. He selected 12. And we go through the Bible and we see God is always selecting people for certain tasks, for certain duties to perform. And uh, that's okay because he's God and he knows. And uh, he chose 12,000 out of the 12 tribes that make up the 144,000 that would be a witness for him but also would give their life as Christ gave his life in being obedient unto the Father. They were obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they followed him unto death. And uh, we see that in chapter 14 of Revelation. But now we're getting ready to look at the other two witnesses that God sets forth. Uh, there are two witnesses that come out of the Old Testament that he brings forth. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And we need to understand that in the time of tribulation, we're dealing also with what is called Jacob's trouble, which basically refers back to the Jews. And God is bringing the Jews back into the prime light in which they were to be in the Old Testament, in a sense. And he is grafting them back in to this, what we call faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is bringing the Jews back in and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. That's what is really taking place. And in this tribulation period, we know Satan, who sets up the Antichrist, who sets up the image and sets up the beast. Uh, Satan's behind all of that. And that he is empowering these folks to act and to carry out his mission. But what we need to understand, while this is going on, God isn't sitting on the sidelines saying, do whatever you want to do. No, that, that's not what God is doing. God has also raised up those who will witness on his behalf and share the truth that he wants to be shared, even in these difficult days. So let's pray and let's take a closer look at this and see what God's going to do. Father, we just thank you and praise you that, Lord, you are an awesome God. You know our beginning. You know our ending. You know everything about us, Lord. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. We are a people, O oh God who are living day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. But Lord, you've already planned out our life. You said in your words, you've numbered our days. And that Lord, you know what our future will look like. And we're trying to discover, Lord, your will for our future and how we should live and how we should find ourselves involved in this world today. Would you continue to minister to us? Would you open our eyes and allow us to see that our main purpose is to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? 
And may that be the main purpose of everyone who names the name of Jesus, that we are here for that exact purpose, that specific purpose of glorifying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as Paul said, not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but we're here to share it. So you help us, O oh God, and Lord, we'll give you the praise and we're going to give you all the glory. Because, Lord, you're more than worthy. You're more than worthy. You're more than worthy, Lord. So, Lord, uh, minister to us, I pray. And, Father, we'll give you all the praise. Because who is likened unto you? There is none. So minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you if you went blank there for a moment or not. Had a little difficulties there just for a moment. But we're just getting ready to start into God's word, so you haven't missed that. But if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 11? Now, <clears throat> in Revelation 11, we're going to deal with the second witnessing that God sets forth. Uh, the first, as I've said, was the 144,000. We go back to Revelation 11 and we see the two witnesses. Then we're going to come back to Revelation 14 for the third witness which is the angel that's flying in the midst of the air. But God has ordained all three of these witnesses. And the 144,000, they were first, then the two prophets, and then the angel. But they're all declaring God's message during a time in which there are other messages going out from the Antichrist. Understand that God is the God of truth and that Satan is the God of lies. He is the God of destruction. God is a God who wants to build, not to destroy. He is a God who wants you to know truth and walk in the light, not in darkness. And wherever Satan is busy doing his work, God is also busy there shedding light, shedding truth, because Satan is shedding a lie, is sharing a lie. And God wants you to know truth. Why? Truth is what sets us free, nothing else. And God wants us to know the truth. But we have to be willing to believe the truth and recognize the truth. And many people today, because they're not willing to surrender themselves, they do not want to really recognize truth because truth demands us to surrender ourselves to it if it's going to have any validity in our life. With truth, you have to surrender to it. And a lot of people fight against truth. But I can give you a little illustration even with Christians. A few years ago, we had many Christians, may still have them around now, who was rebuking calories out of Coke. Rebuking calories out of their food, knowing that they shouldn't be eating that food. The truth is, there's so many calories in Coke. There's so many calories in certain foods that you're going to eat. And you can rebuke all you want to rebuke, but those calories are there because that's a natural truth. It's there. And we have to be willing to accept that truth. A doctor can tell you, you have cancer, you have diabetes, you have this, you have that. You've been diagnosed. That is not saying God cannot heal you. But the truth is, this is what you have. And you may say, I'm not going to receive that. No, that's truth. 
Uh, you already have it. No matter what you say, this is what you have. And there's certain steps that you may have to take to help bring about healing in your life if God doesn't heal you directly. And I believe both can go hand in hand. That God can be at work healing, even while medicine is also doing its job. That God has given men wisdom and knowledge to be able to recognize and understand all the different type of medicines that can fight against certain diseases and so forth. That's God giving wisdom, giving knowledge. Man has to discover it, yes, but God is the one who leads them to that discovery. He's the one who gives them the wisdom and the knowledge of how to use it in such a way that is beneficial, not just to the Christian, but to all humanity. So the God we serve speaks truth into our lives. We're the ones who have to be willing to accept truth. And during the time of tribulation, God is going to still speak truth. He's not going to allow Satan to spin his lie and his tale about who the image is and the beast and all this other stuff and things that are going to take place without sharing with us his truth. And that's what he does. But he also tells us in Peter that sometimes when we choose to do right, we may still suffer. And there's this thing out here, if you do what is right, you'll never suffer. That's not true. You could do everything right and still find yourself in a difficult situation because the days in which we live are evil. You can live right and somebody one day could be on top of a roof out in the street and just decides to start shooting and one of your loved ones might be killed or you might be killed. And you say, well, I've done everything right. Doing what is right does not exempt you from the evilness of this world. Doing what is right is for you to honor the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And doing what is right in obedience to the Lord is what allows you not to miss heaven. But you gain heaven through Jesus Christ and the righteous living that comes with that. We're in this period and what we're studying, the tribulation period. And somebody might ask, well, why do we even have to have a tribulation period? Because man brings it on himself. It's not so much God doing it, although God will finish it. Man brings it to himself because of his unbelief. The hurt and the pain often we go through in life comes through our unbelief. And we wind up hurting ourselves. So in Revelation 11 verse 1 he says, John is speaking. And John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Now, which is understand this. This is one of the very few times in which John, in a sense, is not one who is just observing, but a participant. And he says, I was given. He was giving a reed in order to measure. And he was told to do so. So John is now participating, in a sense. Not just observing the future, but somehow is participating in something that what well, we can't really explain. But yet, John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar. 
and the court, the worshippers thereof. Now, I don't understand that other than that John was made a participant. And yet, not understanding really what he was participating in, most likely, but was made a participant. Not just an observation, not just for someone who's observing at this point, but just for a moment was participating. And he was told what to do. But then he said, do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. He gives an explanation about the outer court and so forth, not to measure that and so forth because it's really been given to the Gentiles. And he says something about the Gentiles. He says, they will trample over the holy city for 42 months. If you study a little bit of history, there has not been another city that has been conquered as often as Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem all through history has been a very controversial city. And some people call it the center of the world. It may be, I don't know, but that's what it's been called. But history tells us there have been more wars fought around Jerusalem than any other city in the world. And here it is again. Jerusalem, the focus is on Jerusalem. The focus is on the Jews first and then the Gentiles. The people who are living at this time are also will be affected by the tribulations. Even though it's in a sense focused upon the Jews, it is also having an effect upon the Gentiles. And he says, the Gentiles, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months, or they will rule that city for three and a half years. That somehow Satan is going to allow the Antichrist to take control of Jerusalem. And most likely it will not be a Jewish person. It may be a Gentile. And that's why it says the Gentiles will trample on it for 42 months. And he says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to send two witnesses during this period. And he says he's going to send these two witnesses for 1,260 days, for three and a half years, 42 months, three and a half years, that while Jerusalem is being trampled on, these two witnesses are going to stand up also and witness and share a message that comes from God. God is not silent. God is speaking even when the Antichrist is speaking and is in control, it looks like. God is speaking and God is sharing his truth to those who will listen, to those who will have an ear to hear. God is speaking. So when we get into verse 3, he says, And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for a hundred for a thousand two hundred and sixty days they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days three and a half years now the argument in some areas is that is this the first half of the tribulation or the second half of the tribulation i will put it more or less in the second half because that's when the Antichrist really begins to show himself more and takes more authority in the second half than what he does in the first half. That God is going to bear witness of himself 
in the worst hours in the darkest time of humanity and his history. And he says, I will give power to my two witnesses. Now, God is saying that here's this Antichrist who has power. But I'm going to give power also to my two witnesses. Uh, anybody who's ever been a witness for the testimony of Jesus Christ has always been given power. Because power is always necessary to overcome the evil one. To overcome the things that men will not believe. So God always gives power to his witnesses. Even back when we go to Acts chapter 1. God says that even of those who he's going to choose to witness on his behalf. He says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive, and he's speaking to his disciples, you will receive power. You will receive power in verse 7 and verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Now catch this. In Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God will always set forth his witnesses but God always administers to his witnesses power power to speak the truth in the darkest days and against the heresies the false teachings and all the lies that goes forth from Satan and again he says and I will give power, in verse 3, in Revelations 11, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. They're going to deliver God's message for 1,260 days. They're going to be speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be calling people to repentance. They're going to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people have to choose. Who will they believe? Now, go to John with me. John 15. And leave us verse 25. As I've been studying this passage here, this has really become... Really a striking, a striking thing for me because of what it says later in this chapter 11 about how the people responded and how the people would not believe and how they rejoiced over the death of the two witnesses and so forth. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15 and I want you to go to verse 24 and 25. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. And these two witnesses have been given the ability also to do certain miracles. And yet people will not believe them. Now, I have to believe, or I do believe, many people will be saved during their time of witnessing. But what troubles me is the thousands upon thousands who will not be saved. 
because they will not believe and they choose, as Thessalonians says, they choose to believe a lie. They choose to believe a lie. And that's hard to grasp up here. But then I think this verse helps explain why they choose to believe a lie. He says, they hate both me and my father in 24. Then in 25, he says this, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me without reason. That there were people in that day when Jesus walked the earth that hated him without just cause, without reason. They just hated him. They were not going to acknowledge him. And I think this is also what's taking place here in Revelation 11 and during the tribulation time. That there will be those who hate the Lord and will not acknowledge him. Even though they see things that take place in his name, they will still reject him and choose to believe a lie. And he says he gives them power to prophesy, to speak his message. He gives them power in the face of danger and threats to still speak the truth and not to draw back, but to speak truth. How often do we find ourselves Sometimes fearful to speak truth, even to speak truth to our families, to speak truth to our children because how they might think about us or feel about us or, or knowing they just don't want to hear it. So we draw back from it. These men will not draw back. They're going to speak the truth. They're going to deliver the message that God wants them to deliver to all those that God wants to hear. They're going to speak it. And it says that they were in sackcloth. So they they didn't come in the fine linen. And sackcloth oftentimes was the clothing of the prophets or it was also a clothing for repentance. If you remember with Jonah, uh, after many of them uh, recognized the truth, it said they repented in sackcloth. Uh, and so it's that area of symbolicness, of repentance. And, and these men are trying to draw people to repentance. So God didn't send them there in the finest dress of the day. They're there in sackcloth. And then this talks about, in verse 4, these are two olive trees and the two lampstands that stands before the Lord. Now, a lot of people will run this back to Zechariah chapter 4, but it really doesn't tell us who exactly. Now, down in a footnote, I do have that uh, is Joshua and, Jack and Zechariah. Joshua being the priest and Zechariah being the governor. And uh, some will point to them. I'm sorry, Zerubbabel and Joshua. But when you look into verse 12 through 14 of Zechariah chapter 4, listen to what it says. Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches? Now, second time. Besides the two pipes that pour out golden oil. He replied, the angel replied, Do you not know what these are? And listen to what Jeroboam says. 
No, my lord, I said. So he said, now catch this, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. These are the two to serve the Lord of all the earth. Doesn't give us a name for either one of the prophets. But what we do know is this, is two of them. Now, understand this also. There's a possibility that the two prophets may be Moses and Elijah. Why? They both come forth at the transfiguration. But we don't know what the tree, the two trees, and the lampstands really stand for. And we could go on and on making suggestions or giving opinions, but they're there. They're there. The two lampstands before the Lord of the earth. And in Zechariah, it tells us they are the last two witnesses of the Lord to the ends of the earth. But these two prophets could be Moses and Elijah. Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah, the great prophet. Some will say it's Enoch as one of them. Because Elijah and Enoch never died. They were taken up. But if Moses was not spoken of at the transfiguration and was not recognized by the apostles, so Moses is alive, living in a new body. And it's possibility it could be Moses and Elijah. Can't say it 100% certain because it doesn't give us the names. But most likely, I believe it is. Moses and Elijah because of what those two individuals stood for in the eyesight of the Jewish individuals. Elijah stopped it from raining for three and a half years. Moses turned water into blood. Both of them were great men of God. But it takes us on a little further. In verse 5, he's going to give us an example of the power that has been given to them by God. Now understand this. Whenever God gives you a task to do, he will empower you to do that. But God will also give you the protection that is needed to complete the task. Now, once the task is completed, your mission is done. At that point, God no longer needs to protect you. Because your mission has been accomplished. But until that time, God empowers you. To be able to deliver your message and do the work that he's called you to do. So in verse 5 of chapter 11 with these two prophets, it says, If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. You really didn't want to be their enemies. You didn't want to be someone trying to stop them from delivering their message that God has given them. And I would say that even today. You may not see fire that comes out of uh, people's mouths. And I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about anyone who is chosen 
to deliver God's message, whatever that message may be, to our community, to society, to family, to whatever. That when you try to stop the message, you put yourself in danger. Because God has empowered them to be able to deliver that message. And he says in that verse 5, Boy, if anyone tries to harm them or to keep them from delivering that message, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Why? Anyone who wants to harm that person who is delivering God's message before they have delivered the message and done what God desires them to do brings harm to themselves. And that may even be true today. Don't think of this as being the truth just in the time of tribulation. No. See that also as something that may be true also in this present time. And he goes on and he says, in verse 6, these men have power to shut up the sky or to stop the rain. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. In other words, they're going to be able to get people's attention. They're going to be able to draw people to them by what they do. They're able to shut up the sky and just think about it. If it don't rain for three and a half years, what does that do? What does that do to our farmers? What does that do to those who grow our vegetables, uh, who does ranching, who does anything in the area of producing food for our behalf? What happens during the drought? Everything dries up and several so much winds up dying. It becomes a desert land, a wasteland. But it catches the attention of people. And it says, boy, the, these men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. With all kind of plagues. Everybody know without clean drinking water, without water to wash and, and cleanse things, uh, diseases fester. Uh, Uncleanness just breed diseases. And yet it is water that is needed to cleanse. It is water that's needed to grow. It is water. And these men for three and a half years have the power to shut up heaven where it doesn't rain. And the water that is on earth, they have the power to turn into blood or, can I say, unusable water source. You can't use the water that you think you have stored up because it can be turned into blood or something you cannot use. Then he goes on in verse 7. <clears throat> now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. It's not until after they had finished their testimony. Now, that's so important to just linger on for a moment. That they cannot be killed or destroyed until after they have finished the work that God had ordained them to do. And they knew they were going to be around for three and a half years, 1,260 days. They knew 
they were going to be around for that long. And God knows how long he has given you. The scripture tells us God has numbered our days. All of us have a number of days. We don't know when that last day is going to be. But God already knows it. God already knows it. Death does not take God by surprise. It does take us by surprise. It does shock us. It does shake our world. But it doesn't shake God's world. And God says, if you have a task to do, you have so long to do it in. And he allows you to get that task done. Every one of us who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are on assignment. We have a task to perform. And God in his infinite wisdom has given us the time to get it done and has provided for us, has protected us, has allowed things to take place in our life in order that we can deliver the message or live the life or do the work that he desires us to do. That's every one of us. And I want you to really take note of this. Now, when they had finished their testimony, all the sharing now is done. All the witnessing is done. All the talking about God, in a sense, now is done by these three, by these two men who witness. It's done. And now it's time for them to die. And that's every one of us. When our time is done, it's time to die. And he goes on, he says, we'll attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, but it's Jerusalem, where also their Lord was crucified. For there, for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Hmm. God allowed people to view them for three and a half days. He would not, in a sense, and I know it says people refused them burial. God kept them there as an eyewitness for people could see them with their own eyes. And then had to ponder this most likely. Why did these men die for bearing witness of Jesus Christ? Why did these men die? In speaking the truth, somebody had to ask that question about these two prophets. Why would they die for speaking truth or speaking against the Antichrist or speaking against the things of the Antichrist? They were killed. And the people would not bury them or refuse to bury them. And they were out in public for three and a half days. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each one gift. They have a big party because of this. Remember what we read in John 15, 24 and 25, that they hated him without a reason. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ, they hated the Father, they hated him without a reason. Even though they saw the miracles, 
that were done. They hated him. And these people, they heard from these two witnesses and most likely saw what they did. And yet, they would not believe and they celebrate. Let's draw something from this. Let's put our buckets down in the well and, and let's draw up some living water. People will rejoice when they can do what they want to do without feeling guilty about what they're doing because nobody's telling them that they're wrong, that they're sinning. A lot of our young people today sleep around, have fornication going on every weekend, partying, and they don't want to be told that they're wrong. Men are fathering children after child after child after child and don't want to be told that they're wrong. And when you and I stop telling them that they're wrong, they rejoice. The homosexual and the gay lifestyle, they rejoice when they don't have to hear and they're accepted as something that this is the norm. This is the way God intended me to be. And they don't hear the truth. They kind of rejoice. They party with that because they're not hearing truth that caused them to have a sense of guilt of being wrong or in sin. And they party with that. And it says they celebrated by sending each other's gifts. I doubt if the unbeliever sent gifts to a believer. But they sent gifts to one another, acknowledging they don't have to hear it no more. They don't have to hear this truth anymore. They don't have to hear this message of God any longer. They don't have to hear it. And there's a lot of people in America today that is doing all they can do to silence the word of God. To silence the Bible. To silence God from speaking against the hideous things that are taking place in life. And he says, they celebrated by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. They, Their truth, their message tormented the mind and the heart of those who were in sin, who were rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, who were fighting against the things of God and believing a lie. That their message literally tormented them mentally. And there's nothing worse than mental torment. Because it won't let you rest. And he says, The prophets had tormented those who live on the earth in their own pleasures, doing their own desires, running after their own lusts. He said, tormented. There are people today who are tormented, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't come to church today, because they are here truth. There's many people who are hiding from truth and trying to get away from truth. And our society is also beginning to protect them from hearing truth 
because it's only the truth that will set them free. It's only the truth that will set a true standard, a true principle, a real value in life. Without truth, you don't have a true value. Without truth, you can't set moral standards. Without truth, you don't know what is right or wrong. But God's truth educates us. It redeems us. It delivers us. And it gives us value and boundaries. But he goes on now in verse 10. I'm sorry, in verse 11, he says, But after the three and a half days, breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Those who sent the gifts and, and those who said, hey, we're celebrating because they're dead. They're dead. We don't hear them no more. Can you imagine what went through their heart and their minds when they saw these men stand up? And I like the way Scripture put it, that they stood up on their feet. They stood Nobody lifted them up, per se. Wasn't two men, one on each side, standing these dead bodies up. They stood up on their own in the power of God. And man had no answer for that. And it says, boy, a breath of life from God entered them. What kind of breath? The breath of life from God. The breath of life. God is the one who breathes life into us. That's a good little study, the breath of life. Just so we don't have time to really go through it. But boy, the breath of life only comes from God. And in verse 12, he says, then they heard a voice, a loud voice, from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Wouldn't that be the time to repent? Wouldn't that be the time to say, I believe? Wouldn't that be the time to bow down and beg for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness? Wouldn't that be time to respond? God stands them up. You're able to see them. Their enemies see them. Come back. Again to life. And they stand up on their own. And then this voice comes from heaven. That says come up here. And the unbelievers. Their enemies see them. Caught up. Wouldn't that be the time as they're going up to for you to fall down? For us to fall down and ask God for repentance? What will it take for you to repent? And that's what these two witnesses are really somewhat asking. What will it take for you to repent and believe God. What would it take for you to stop believing a lie? You say, well, well, Pastor Brown, you're just trying to talk me out of believing what I believe. No. I'm trying to talk you into investigating what truth really is. If you already have truth, praise God. But if you're believing in something else other than the Bible, you don't have truth. And I know we could say, and I imagine somebody over there in Islam and Buddha and 
and some type of isms or whatever is saying the same thing about me. That I don't have truth. But I want to share this with you. But allow these men's truth to really be truth is the God that supplied them the power to give the message and to do the other miracles in their life. What makes God true in my life is not just the preaching of his word, but those things that he has done in my life. And when you become a believer, God begins to work in your life that only he and he alone can truly get the credit. Because you know you didn't do it, your friend didn't do it, your mom and dad didn't do it, only God did it. And you'll be able to identify and recognize that. And it says, they were caught up when they heard him say, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. Remember Jesus was taken up in a cloud? While their enemies looked on. As their enemies looked on, that's the time to repent. Don't wait for the very last moment. Don't wait until you're dying and hope that you'll get it in your last breath that you will ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. Really look at life. And really look at this Bible for yourself. And study it. And ask yourself, is it true that I need a Savior? Ask yourself, am I a sinner? Some of us will say, I'm pretty good, but you're measuring yourself by looking at somebody else. You're looking at a brother, a sister, a neighbor, a co-worker. But when you look at Jesus and measure yourself with Jesus, you see you fall far short. I pray that you would hear what these two witnesses are trying to say to a dying world. That God sent a message for you to hear. God sent a message for you to respond to. God sent a message for you to accept and have life. And I pray that you will receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and live and discover eternal life in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that in every every period of history, you have declared your word to a dying world. Thank you, Lord, for the Billy Sundays. Thank you for the Billy Grahams. Thank you for the George Wefields. Thank you for the different men down through the ages, the Tozers, the Simpsons, many others, oh God, who have declared the living word of our God, the message that you wanted delivered to every generation. Thank you for the men, even today, Lord, who are sharing your message to a dying world. Would you open the ears? Would you take the blinders off? Would you allow people to receive your message? and live. I pray, Father, that you would do a magnificent work in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, and I uh, will pick up that third witness next week. 
that angel who is carrying the message. And uh, we want to look at that angel. It's not much there, just a verse or two, but um, it's powerful. And I pray that you will hear God speaking to you this week. I pray that somehow God would do something miraculous in your life, something that is that will catch your eye, that will catch your ear, that you'll know is God intervening in your life. Amen? God bless you. God keep you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Bye-bye.